0: Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. This week's guest is Gareth Fallon, someone who grew up in Ireland fishing the Boyne, Carrow, Deal, and other rivers and lakes around the country. But since the 1990s, he has been in England working in publishing and design. The last few years, however, has seen him combine his love of fishing, writing and publishing to create the very popular fishing quarterly magazine, called Fallon's Angler, is dedicated to long-form writing about every type of angling, with the likes of Chris Yates and Kevin Parr featuring in each issue. Garrett is also the son of Niall Fallon, an Irish Times journalist who wrote the well-respected Fly Fishing for Irish Trout in 1983, and we speak to Garrett about his father's influence growing up and his own memories of fishing in Ireland. And Tom, before we hear from Garrett, it's a fascinating interview, as he's someone who has, I suppose, really approached angling from the question of why rather than just the how.
1: Yeah, it was really great to talk to him. And you said, like, his approach to it is fantastic. Uh, I was really looking forward to this initially um, because one of the first books I read was his father's book, um, Niall Fallon's book. I, I, but it was funny. And that's how you go into that as well. That, that was fascinating. But to hear him talk and his approach to it, but also as well for somebody and I really admire this, you, you can sense, it. he's gotten to do something that he wants to do. And he stood back and he said, yeah, no, I really enjoy this. And this comes across, he, he, you know, the passion he has for, as he says, reading things that come to life for him. This, this was amazing. You know, and this, and this, is, this is what he wants to do. I, I thought, I said, fair play to you. You know, you're doing what you want to do. And he's so enthused about it. And from something else, it's not just somebody who's, let's say, decided to go fishing, like somebody could say to me, oh, you've decided to go fishing. But no, he, he's approached something, another side of it, a side that he loves, the whole literature side of it, the whole thing about angling of, of what he gets from angling. And, and he's getting other people to put that forward as well. Uh, I thought, brilliant, yeah, really good. And
0: It's funny, actually, because... If you think because I was thinking about actually like if you think about a lot of the interviews say that we might do they're with guides, you know, like yourself or you know Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: People, you know, who are competition anglers, people who have dedicated a significant part of their life to fishing and you know, maybe have earned money to it might necessarily be full time, but it's it's a central part of their life. Whereas, you know, Garrett and you know, somebody like myself, it's angling's not. But there's a love of it, and what I love about what Garrett has done is that he was able to bring that love of it through another way, i.e. the writing. But it's funny, I actually think there's a, like, you'll hear it in the interview when he talks about his father, because we we asked him quite a lot about his father, Niall, because he was obviously so well known for the the fly fishing uh, in Ireland. And there's a beautiful line he says at the end about his father that he, that they found the, 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 the papers, you know, drafts of novels and, and short stories that his father never published them. And, he, and I asked him about, was he an angler or a writer? And he says he was probably a writer, first and foremost, you know, and that, that, and that just came through in the angling. And I actually got that with Garrett. I thought I really got that sense of, here was somebody, you know, he worked in publishing design. Fishing was just a constant in his life that he was able to bring this out then through the writing of Fallon Zangler. And it's, it's, you know, it's testament to his love of both. I think that, um, you know, sh- like you said, shines through and it was the passion for it. And, but I think it's something deeper. It's, I think it, yeah. I, I was talking about I, I like haunted by water is my book. It just reminded me Garrett kind of approached it. And I really identified it when I was chatting to Garrett, like, you know, I'd
1: have, I, I could see that for your tone. It was like, I was listening to Kindred Spirits.
0: Yes. That's- <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, very much so. You know, for that, I was sitting back and I was, because uh, two of you were completely engrossed because it's 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 something that really gets both of you going, you yeah. know, the chance. Because you, you write, but you're writing about fishing <laughs> and what it does for you. Yeah. Not, not the not the actual technicalities of it. Yeah. But, yeah, it, you know, what it does for you, what it does for the soul or, you know, yeah. what you get from
0: yeah, that's, what it yeah, that was it exactly like, and that's, you know, and that's, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Fallon's, Ang- or Fallon's Angler, the Quarterly, like, and I'd recommend if anybody, you know, you're into the kind of longer form type riding and it, it's not, yeah. fish, it covers every type of fishing, you know. Um, yeah, that's
1: the interesting thing, which I think is good. I, I think it's really good. I mean, like we are talking earlier on there about the old Irish Angler. Um, well, I don't know when we were talking about. And The nice thing about the Irish Angler when it was been produced was, it covered it wasn't just fly fishing. So if you were a fly fisher, you got to read a bit about other things. You know, you know, things like uh you know, sea fishing, shore fishing, uh Course fishing the pike fishing. It was great. It was, it was nice like that, and I think that comes across with what um Gareth is doing as well.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I, 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 you sounded well. Kindred spirits. There was something there, like I just kind of. Oh, definitely. I, I,
1: geez, I just, I just, <laughs> I just stood back. Yeah, I just about let them off. It was great. It was great. I was loving
0: it. Well, I, I you know? hope people. I hope people get a sense of, and even if you're not as into it, I, I do hope the kind of passion comes through, because you know people get into. But
1: it. it's interesting. I, meant to say it too, Gareth, and you just brought it up there when we were talking to. Him. It's funny, it, Niall definitely was a writer first because I, I read the book when we were going, um, when I was where this I, I opened the book again and I read it. And it, it's the way he's formatted the book, there's a lot of technical information in it. And it, there's chapters of what you need, what you do. And I get the sense and when I was because I read it in secondary school, I, I I lapped those bits up because I wanted to know what I needed, you know, what was the nylon I needed? What else did I need? What did I do? But now that I read it now, I get the sense that Nile didn't really want to write about that. But it was sort of somebody said, you know what you should do? Put in a bit about what you need. But he put it in and he did it and he did a good job on it. But the bits that he, re- you know, and they come across, it's like when he the bit you read about uh, when he catches the big fish. Yes you know, when, when, you know, the words start flowing, you
0: know, and you can hear the Uh, publisher going, no, cut, cut, more on the nylon, please.
1: Yes. Yes. Tip of diameter. We need to know about tip of diameter. Forget
0: about that poetic nonsense. Nobody's, none of those anglers are into that. And actually, um, just before we hear from Garrett on that, uh, you'll hear, uh, we mentioned a bit as Niall mentioned, um, recordings of tapes with Gillies from Connemara and I've subsequently we mentioned in the interview I've subsequently followed it up with with Garrett and he says he thinks there might be a drawer full of of these tapes uh, back in the in the old home back in Ireland so hopefully you know next time he's over you know he's gonna have a look so you know I want first dibs on that Garrett if you're listening. That could be that could be so good. That would be brilliant.
1: would
0: be a gold mine? Really? Yeah. You know, so um, we'll we'll wait for that one. But look, you get to hear um Garrett's story um and also about his father, Niall, uh, and his memories of Ireland. And like I said, hopefully um you know you get that sense of kind of what fishing means to him and how that's combined with his love of writing and how he's come to uh, establish and set up you know, the very popular Fallon's Angler magazine. So here is Garrett Fallon
2: my first home was on lacarock on the shores of and torard um where my father had a boat um, but i you know i barely remember that i have some sort of old dreams about sort of uh, very sort of wide open spaces and dog kennels weirdly because we also ran a dog kennels when we were there and um and so i just got these sort of echoes of of um of boats and and, and the lock in the background and and we 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 returned there um Many times over the years, but from there we'd actually moved to Kildare, and then from Kildare to County Meath, and it was County Meath um, where I kind of settled, and my family home was still there. So we were brought up on the on the banks of the River Deal, uh, which is a beautiful limestone stream that um, flows into the River Boyne, and the River Boyne sort of also flows around the back of the fields. Uh, and kind of in between all that, there's a, there's a the Royal Canal, and there's a there's a lake, and, and various other things with great access to to sort of the Westmead lakes as well. So I just remember my, my dad, like he kind of had a, um, had an arrangement with my mum. My mum was like, we had four acres of fields at the back and she was allowed to ride the horses and my father was allowed to fish and neither of them crossed over. Um, so the Secret to a happy marriage. Yeah, yeah, exactly, secret to a happy marriage. Yeah. yeah, so we spent an awful lot of time, you know, around with the fields ourselves when the our parents were off doing their own kind of things, which was kind of fantastic in, in many ways. So my did dad,
0: you grow up with fishing then? Was it just? Yeah, piracy? slightly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my dad was, um, you know, fishing for him was, was you know, um, you could kind of tell his mood because he was a very kind of busy guy. And when he was really stressed, uh, he would go off on his own up the river. And, and so he would literally walk out of the house sort of 250, 300 meters up to the up to the deal and he'd fish there. Um, and if the fishing wasn't, it, that would be just a sort of short jaunt. And they're fantastic uh wild brown trout there absolutely beautiful fish and you know uh, we used to see sort of salmon runs and elder runs up the weir and stuff like that and um but uh but then if he would go sort of further afield as well there was some fantastic fishing on again on the deal uh and and the boyne so when he kind of had more time for himself he'd kind of into a wider trip but the deal was always kind of his first port of call um and uh and then occasionally he would he would get us involved, you know, when he had a little bit more time. But generally, it was a kind of um, it was something he did to kind of I don't know to keep his mind in the right kind of place and just to find that kind of personal space that we all kind of need. You know. What what did he do actually? What what did he do? Garrett? Uh Well, he was a, he was a journalist. So he he worked for the Irish Times, and I think at one point he was um, editor for special reports and um, as well as editor for tourism. So, but he he travelled he travelled the world. Uh, you know, uh, I remember him sort of going away for sort of several weeks at a time and coming back with quite exotic gifts at the time. I thought they were exotic, but invariably they'd be some some coins from somewhere. And of course, you know, the coins would have a hole in them. I think this is the best thing since sliced bread. But actually, it was just a change from the bottom of his pocket you know? and uh, or, there, or there might be something else like that. There'd, there'd be a, a sort of, you know, an Indian sword or, you know, a Texas, you know, I remember he brought a sort of um, I remember him going to Cuba, actually, and bringing back a stuffed frog. You know uh, and a sort of sugarcane machete and various other kind of things you know but um but i think that the kind of the thing he was most famous for was he, he um he was one of the first i think he was the first western journalist to go into cambodia after it was um it was occupied by the khmer rouge and he uh he was there for i think a couple of weeks and then um this is the time before mobile phones and, and my mum went to um dublin airport to pick him up and uh, he wasn't on the flight and so she was a bit frantic and, and rang the Irish Times and I don't know whether it was Douglas Gageby at the time he was editor, it might well have been, because this was sometime in the 19, pretty sort of early 1970s. And they said, well, it appears that he wasn't like he wasn't on the flight. So it was like we're frantically kind of trying to find out where he was. And um, it turned out that he and, um, and the photographer he was with were um, were invited uh, in adverse commas to stay a while um, in the Khmer Rouge camp and um and so they did so they stayed there until they were told that they didn't have to stay there anymore and so it was a little a little bit longer like a, a week or two whatever and then he came back and um with sort of a lot of stories and um about how the Khmerish camp was run and you know and, and there were, I remember seeing pictures of him I used to have them up on my wall of him with sort of holding an AK-47 in his hand while there was a whole group of kind of young lads you know ranging from you know, 20s down into, basically seven or eight holding bazookas you know rifles you know automatic machine guns you name it of course i thought this was fantastic but you know actually when later on you know i also found the pictures of um of the bodies of the the dead that they'd had to photograph as well so it was a kind of wake-up call and i kind of realized that you know okay this is why a man needs to go fishing you know when he comes when he when he sees that and that's part of his job um, which obviously is not doing that all the time, but to see that at all would need that it would mean that you yeah, have plenty of plenty of time on the bank is needed to, to kind of get your head around it. You know, um, so I, I I kind of understood from that moment why he he did like to spend a bit of time away on his own. You know,
0: and and did you grow up then like just you know with worms or whatever like just on, on the <laughs> riverbank, You know yourself just yeah often?
2: yeah I did yeah because there were perch um, in in the deal. Uh, and uh, there was a lovely old sort of stone bridge on this avenue up to the, up to the manor. We were the lodge uh, to a manor and we were unusual. There was an unusual lodge in that it wasn't inside the gates. wasn't a typical gate lodge, but it was built as a hunting lodge, a hunting and fishing lodge. And so we used to just literally walk across the road and up through the gates and along the avenue. And then there was a bridge there and a weir just above the bridge and you could fish into the weir, you know, in the fast water occasionally even you might get you might get a trout or whatever that but generally the bridge was where you would fish and you'd catch eels, gudgeon, perch, always kind of small perch. And then occasionally there'd be a big trout and, and then depending on on the kind of time of year, you'd always kind of put your head over the, the sort of the side of the bridge and look down because there was always one side that was in shade and one side that was in sunshine. you know what it is and, and there's always it's one of those sort of bridges with two arches to it. And you know, and and the sort of the water surges through one arch, and goes very sort of slowly through the other. So you get this mix of water, you know. And I remember one of my mates come running down into the house and saying, "You've got to see this!" Uh, and I come up to, to the uh, to the bridge, and I did. And there was this, there were two massive salmon. I mean, they were they were enormous things. And and where where we would normally catch perch, but yeah, but that was where my dad's. My dad brought me there because um, he he could see that me and my friends were sort of. Uh, we were kind of trying to get our heads around fishing and then we were probably, you know, seven or eight, or whatever. And uh, he just brought me up one night with a rod, you know, a hook, a worm, you know, a weight on the hook. And, and that was it, you know, and um, I caught this thing. So it was, you know, absolutely fantastic. And then it, one of its spines stuck in my fingers and, you know, that, that was kind of it, you know, but, but that was, that was just the beginning of it. So, so once I kind of, you know, knew how to do that, then I was just off, you know, I think I used, a, I used an old, you know, a boat fishing rod, like I mean, uh, like a sea boat fishing rod, you know, and um, and and really thick line and whatever. I mean, my friends and I would cobble stuff together and and just go, just go around and explore. But yeah, generally it was perch and worm, and then it graduated from there to probably spinning, you know, and um and then onto 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 the fly. You know, he used to take us. Um, obviously, fly fishing was a bit different because yeah, it was. Super skillful, you know, to, to, compared to us, we like, literally sitting there with just feeling the line in your fingers. But fly fishing just—it seemed like a, you know, quite a hard thing to do. But he he started us off by taking us to the lakes, like somewhere like like Mount Dalton. I remember going to, and we'd um we'd trail sort of teams of wet flies behind the boat, and he'd row up and down this lake, you know, and we'd catch a little trout. Um, but it probably wasn't until I'm trying to think with my the first time we ca- I think actually the first time I cast a fly was probably um. Yeah, probably one of the Westmead lakes, like the White Lake, probably, um, or Lock Bone, probably for um, for trout from a boat, or, or for actually, it probably started off from from the bank, we used to go for barbecues with sort of multiple families. He and, see, uh, he seemed to like uh, the uh, White Lake, did he? Yeah, he, could, yeah, he did. In the book, he talks a lot about it. He was very fond of it. Yeah, yeah, he did. And yeah, he yeah.
1: doesn't let it out a bit like an angler's paradise, F. D. Barker, because he actually. <laughs> it, um, he doesn't say where he caught the biggest fish. Ah, the other one, yeah. he, he has on the front page the six pound, eight ounce that uh, yeah. he caught on a sedge in an evening. But if you read the piece about it, which I did quite often, actually, loads <laughs> of times, he says, like, that he, he's with a guy called Murroch, fishing with a guy called Murroch, Yeah, which was which named. aptly named, exactly, yeah. 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 And yeah. he says, the only hint that you get is up until... They had that fish, their only sport of the day is a poorly conditioned rainbow. So I'm yeah. there putting two and two together and goes, It's got to be the white lake. It's got to be the white lake. So I do not yeah. know. So, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, so I remember, I remember coming back that night. And, um, oh, do you? Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, because, you know, it was quite late, obviously, because he caught that fish in, in almost total darkness. Like he, he was, he blind cast to a feeding fish, I think, as he, he put it himself. Heard the slurp and then he just struck. And the next thing you know is the boat's been towed. Like, like, you know, whether that was a bit of journalistic sort of license, I don't know, but (laughs)
1: it reads good. It It reads reads good, good. yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: And, um, but I remember he actually came home with two fish that night. And, um, and like what happens generally in the house, you drive across the cattle grid. So that'll be the first thing that kind of wake you up is the, Mm -hmm. the car coming across the cattle grid and then into the gravel and then grinding to a sort of a, a sort of halt, and this halt was was like a little bit skiddy, you know. And I kind of thinking, <laughs> oh, something's going on. What's happened? And and it was just a kind of like a, you know, a, you know, there was a bit of sort of, you know, I don't know, there, there was a a bit of speed in the in the walking, you know. And, and he, he kind of got into the to the um, to the house, and, and the, the, the back door was like adjacent to 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 myself and my brother's room, and um and we could hear the chatting in the kitchen, and um and him talking to my mother and i i came out of the the room and i went in and there were these, these two two trout and papers and one was yeah i think probably the, the poorly conditioned rainbow or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, but the other one was massive <laughs> yeah and i think at that stage he was already on a second glass of wine so so um yeah i got i got the full story but yeah it was a beautiful fish and um yeah it's still it's it's stuffed yeah and 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 sort of um mounted in um in
0: our house and our family home. Uh, still it's still there, there yeah. Still there, I read right? Actually, I have it. Actually, I might read, actually, the paragraph yeah, or it. two. You do, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. it here. Um. So he's talking about uh, Murak fumbled forward and the beam of his torch lit the water. The bottom sprang up as though looked at through the bottom of a glass. We were in no more than a foot of water and almost a ground. Then there swam deliberately into the circle of bright light, a great silvered shape, the eyes bright as diamonds. In the calm water and the torch's sharp light, I could see the slender hold of the fly. My heart failed me. It must be now or not at all. I put side pressure on the fish and she moved reluctantly to the side of the boat. Murrow put the net under her in the torchlight and lifted her great bulk inboard. As he did so, the net bent and the fly fell out, but she was landed. And my old hardy scale, as accurate as any computer, put her at six pounds and eight ounces. My biggest then and still. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great writing. And just in case people are wondering, sorry, it's fly fishing for Irish trout by Niall Fallon. Um, it's I I got it on I think it was a books or Amazon. You can still get it. It's it's a it's a fantastic read. Um, I was and I was just looking there as guard. It was first published in nineteen eighty three, um, and this is the edition nineteen eighty six. But like you know, there's brown trout lakes, brown trout rivers. What I actually liked, Garrett, is even just the opening chapter, he talks about the changing scene. And I did have a question for you, and actually, I, I have the page marked,
2: right? But actually, it was gonna Couldn't ask, you, have...
0: this might be for another time, though. Or even, <laughs> um, he, it, your, uh, your dad writes, writes it, at, um, I have in my desk tape recordings of several of the great gillies of the western lakes mm. one long since dead recalls the capturing when one week of two trout to his rod the one weighing 21 pounds the second close on 24 pounds they were he said caught on fly you don't have those tapes anymore do you I would ah. love to hear those tapes
1: So <laughs> do I, I'd forgotten that piece but I remember it yeah
0: now that um, would make like a podcast oh
2: yeah <laughs> I tell you what I can have a look for them um, you know um, my, my you know my mother doesn't throw anything away so uh, um like uh, you know a lot of his stuff is, is still around i i have he was supposed to be kind of you know working on a on another book um which we i, I I've, lo- I've looked extensively for and i never managed to find it um mm-hmm. i haven't had a huge amount of access to his his personal stuff but i think with permission from my mum i might be able to have a rummage around there's a there's a lot of things knocking around you know um in sort of boxes and drawers, mostly drawers, you know, I like, had a lot of drawers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I know what it is with fly fishermen and fishermen full stop, but fly fishermen especially. There's an awful <laughs> lot of drawers around, you know, with stuff in them. And, um, you know, um, so yeah, I, I think there, there are, there are tapes, um, but I hadn't actually, it's a long time since I read the book and I'd forgotten about those. Yeah. It so, um, gives, you know, gives me something to do, you
0: know. Excuse to do it. But it's funny, yeah. actually, myself and Tom were talking and what I love about kind of, the book is—it's the kind of link to the past as well. So whether it was the tapes or even Tom, you were mentioning the bibliography, the kind of you know mentioning the books or the tackle shots. Yeah, no, some and, of the
1: books. Some of the books. The list he's had. I mean, there's books there that I hadn't heard of, and I'm quite good. I won't say I'm quite good, but I, you know, I I would looked up a lot of things. I've, I've actually gone to the National Library and <laughs> taken out. I took out um, Belton's book. Which was written in eighteen thirty four. I went to the national library to get it out to get a paragraph from it. Right. So, yeah. So I was looking through the bibliogra- bibliography again, and this cop there. I said, "Oh God, I don't know that one." Oh, <laughs> ooh, off after the, the library again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think Tom Ford tells a great story about um, my dad being, you know, in 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 sort of you know heavy competition against this other book collector in Ireland, and I don't know who this person was, you know. I've never found out, but he'd be infuriated. They go to a lot of sort of house clearances, and at that that time in the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, you know, I know the seventies, eighties, and nineties, you were getting a lot of house clearances. You know, as sort of old sort of families, They passed away, and people didn't understand really what the books were worth. And um, and sometimes they, at the time, they probably weren't worth a lot at all. It wasn't until later that they were probably worth something. But he would just, you know, he kind of knew, and he would he would buy them, and there were books coming in and out of the house all the time. And he would talk to Tom Force, like, you know, as soon as he came back to my house clearance or whatever, or an, or an auction. And he'd say, oh, I have this book. You know, Tom, I go, oh, I've got a copy of that. I said, oh, all right, okay. Well, I've got this book today. I've got a copy of that, you know. And so I got this book. Oh, I don't have a copy of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or Tom would ring him and say, I've, I've seen a copy of this. Do you have it? And, and they do kind of swap. But then, you know, invariably sort of once every few months, you go, uh, I was at that auction and that fellow was there. And he got he got the book that I wanted, you know, and the the F and so and so, so um, yeah, But I never found out who that man was, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, the, the, he had he had a, he had quite an extensive library, yeah. Um, a lot of which I now have. some of the books behind me. Some of the sort of less valuable ones are here, and um, a few others are in my house. But the rest are all in kind of safekeeping. Yeah.
0: Can I ask you, um, Garrett, just in terms of um, when did your dad die?
2: Oh, he died. Um, he's, he's well, when I turned 51, he was dead longer than he was alive in my life. So it's 26 years ago he died. Yeah.
0: 90, late 90s. Yeah. yeah. Was he, obviously, because he's such a great journalistic career, you know, the Irish Times, and you, know, you mentioned Cambodia and the kind of special reports and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe it's just the the, the, the space I occupy. <laughs> he's associated so much with the fly fishing of yeah. Ireland. What? what way do you think he want to have been remembered for his journalism work or both or what what way do you think it would have been
2: that's a really interesting point uh, um i'd wish i had a chance to sort of um to ask him but um i i think for both really um like i think first and foremost you know um i felt that he was a journalist you know um but actually that's what i thought when i was a kid you know i thought that you know, he was a fisherman after that. But actually, as I've got older, I think that probably the two things kind of switch around. You know, right. um, I, I think that he's having found some of the I, like he he, he wrote um, 22 short stories, which have never been published, which I have. Wow. And, and, and they're um, and they're about sort of a mix. They're about sort of a whole, you know, uh, cross section of kind of Irish life and sort of, sort of 70s and 80s. And actually it kind of made me think that really underneath it all, he was he was a writer. You know, I think so. The journalism kind of happened as a sort of necessity, maybe to pay the bills. To, to, to pay the bills, and actually, you know, and my mother. fact, I was just talking to my mother recently. Um, you know, she was saying that she found like he, he wrote, he, he wrote a, a novel. You know, um, he wrote plays, uh, poems. You know, all sorts of stuff. Um, so I think, I think he was a writer. You know, and I think if he wanted to write about anything. More than anything else, it was probably about fishing, though he didn't do nearly enough of that. You know, he, he did a lot of fishing, but you know, but not enough writing about it. You know.
0: Was he proud of um fly fishing for Irish Trade?
2: Um, yeah, he was, but he's he um, you know, uh and the person who would tell me that would be would be Tom Ford again, because Tom and him were 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 absolutely great friends, Tom, Matthew, and Stephen, you know, and um and um all the like three Fort brothers and and then and then their friend Stephen. Um yeah, and Tom would say that he was a fierce self-critic as well as being, you know, uh, not, yeah, well, he didn't give praise easily, you know, for other people. So he, he, if he gave, if he didn't give praise easily, he probably wasn't too, you know, self-praising. But, um, but actually, I think he was proud of it because um, I think that the proof is kind of in the pudding, isn't it? So I, I think that um, when people write you letters to say, thanks, that you know, I managed to catch a trout on that piece of advice, and that's kind of enough, yeah. isn't it? You know, you're doing you're doing something right. You
0: know, yeah, hundred um, percent. Well, I'd highly recommend it for anybody to to check it out online and to get a second hand copy of it. it. is a great read, like you know, absolutely. Like, I want to fast forward, um, yeah. years and decades. We'll do a, a quick fast forward. How does the boy who is fishing the deal? Um, you end up in London, and in a midlife crisis or a late life, later life crisis, you end up setting up a fishing magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the blanks. <laughs> uh,
2: well, this, the fishing magazine started actually when I was, um, when my dad was still alive. Um, I was, I was working in advertising and um, in, in in Dublin. And then I was, I was designing as well. Um, I, I'd been to art college and uh, actually I went from advertising to art college and back to sort of design. And and I was like, um I just had this, you know, my father had sort of ignited this kind of passion in me. Um, I, I became ill when I was in my sort of twenties and for a summer I had to move back home. And my dad basically nursed me, you know, by bringing me to the canal and kind of leaving me there, you know, and the, you know, the, like I, I could barely walk, but he would leave me for, you know, an hour. And I would, I had my old rod from when I was a kid and, um, and I would fish. And I would catch Rudd. The Royal Canal was full of Rudd at the time.
0: And had you um, fished before Like had you let it go during your twenties?
2: Yeah, I, I sort of I let it go when I was. I fished extensively up to about the time I was about fifteen, and I went away to boarding school, and um, and then I didn't. You know, I didn't fish for a couple of years until a couple of lads from Dunboyne uh, joined that school, and we went to start pike fishing again. And an actual fact, a bunch of us went home to from school one weekend, and one of my mates caught a ten-pound salmon in the Boyne. On a, on a on a spinner and um you know and it was uh, that was a great day but um but uh, from there i kept on fishing so i'd only had a couple of years you know out of it and um and then yeah it was when passion for angling came out and i watched that with my dad um and he introduced me to, to the writing chris yates and all that kind of stuff and i thought i've got to do something like that you know this is amazing so i, I looked into it at the time and then you know sort of you know college to, you know went on and, and then my father passed away and then I I kind of I was drifting for a little bit like I'm, it was my uncle Porik uh, my father's youngest brother who invited me over to London and um, and then just you know work took over I, I was been working in magazine publishing every, you know from 27 up until I'm still doing it so yeah after a while I just became like what am I doing? You know, like I'm sort of working in, in magazines that are about economics and about banking and you know about you know offshore hedge funds and you know well, okay great fantastic but I wanted to I wanted to do something else so that kind of that itch was still there and um and yeah it was about it was 2014 I kind of went like I, I need to have a kind of creative side to me um, even though i was i was creating in my professional world but i wasn't creating anything i was necessarily particularly proud of and, and um it was just paying the bills um,
0: and so I, I, you know, similar to your dad actually you know in terms yeah. of your dad was doing the journalism like and he was doing the writing on the yeah
2: there, there's definitely there's definitely a kind of symmetry to it um uh you know I, I sort of i think one of the things that sort of prompted me to do it as well was my my uncle Porik, you know um who i was very very close to like he'd he would take me salmon fishing, um, you know, up to Scotland, you know, in fact, the year that my dad died, uh, I went, my, my father and mother would go every year with my uncle Porik up to the Conan, Scotland or, or the neighbor or somewhere like that. And, um, and the, the, year he died, he obviously dad couldn't go. So I went in the stead and, um, and that was the first time I really kind of met my uncle properly. You know, um, I'd met him obviously a few times, but I really got to know him at that point and we became very close and, um. I, uh, I then subsequently moved over to, to London and lived with him for a while and, and fished sort of relatively, sort of regularly with him. Um, and so he passed away. Um, it just, it just this kind of thing started to build where, where I just kind of felt that I'd, I'd sort of owed something to, you know, not just my father, but to my uncle too. Um, and, and and I guess to my grandfather, you know, sort of poet and, and writer. and I kind of felt that there was a sort of, I wanted to write more, you know, um, I'd, I'd written a bit in my 20s. I'd, I'd applied for a to job as angling correspondent of the Irish Times, actually, and got turned down um, <laughs> when I was about, you know, 20 or something.
0: <laughs> I can't remember, what was Derek it? Evans,
1: um, damn you. Yeah, <laughs> well, no no nepotism <laughs> in the Irish Times. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, <laughs> actually, it, it couldn't have been that. It, you know, it, must have been, it must have been after, actually. That's that's a good point. It must have been after my dad died.
1: Yeah.
2: So I was, what? I was 25. So, yeah. Um, nice. yeah I think it was like okay I'll apply this somebody said oh this job has gone I said, oh, I was a bloody year too late isn't it because I had a really good contract and now he's not around <laughs> but yeah there was no sympathy given It was just like no you're crap Off you Go you know? go <laughs> so like, um, but yeah they weren't they, they you know I was I was writing you know in a very kind of um, you know pastoral kind of way yeah uh, I was writing about you know misty dawns and you know the magic of catching fish rather than you know, I went down the canal and they caught 50 pound of roach, you know. Um, and
0: did that so. inform then Fallon's anger in that yeah, sense? It, because it wasn't a how-to and it's not even like it's about fishing, but there's a certain philosophy and a certain mood to it, I think, is the kind of way I'd phrase it, like.
2: Yeah, um, it did, because my father had this really extensive library, but it wasn't just about Irish fishing books. Um, it was and it wasn't just about fly fishing. It was lots of disciplines. So whenever I became interested, like I remember reading Ken Whelan's um, you know, book about um, course fishing in Ireland. And, and it was just, you know, I used to go into it whenever I wanted to go somewhere, I would read that book. And but that, that was a very instructive book and it was really, really handy. You know? And so I would read those. But then I would also read like I when I first read Casting at the Sun um by Chris Yates, I just it just blew me away. And um and that was it just made so much sense to me. Um and so my angling was sort of you know a mixture of the two things where you know you need that instructive stuff where you know you, you can learn and you have to sort of you have a conundrum and you want to find out. So you want to, you know, you read how somebody else has sort of dealt with this. But actually what really spoke to me was was something much more soulful and um and and in in a sense uh when i when the opportunity came to do it um there was that's it needed to be soulful because that was what I was looking for. you know the work that I was doing had a lack of soul to it so um i i just i just found it you know I had this need to sort of engage with nature i i i I felt it sort of it was a very kind of magical thing to do and and so the writing has just kind of evolved in that sort of sense. Um, it's just the writing that makes more sense to me because I, I think at the time as well, there was a lot sort of of, um, in, in many ways, it was a sort of, you know, there was so many fishing magazines out, you know, around that time, sort of, you know, early 2000s, tons of them, you know, um, but actually it was the advent of a kind of sponsored angling. And, um, and so very quickly, I think, uh, we, we realized, oh, magazines were literally just full of, tackle talk you know um oh, i'm going fishing with this rod sponsored by this manufacturer with this reel sponsored by this manufacturer, with this line and it was just like okay all right when are you gonna actually no, that, that that doesn't happen oh, I, I couldn't <laughs> <laughs> oh are, you, are you serious <laughs> yeah, and actually believe it or not it still happens and, and the thing is i'm all on for that you know because you need your ambassadors you know and, and, yeah. and you know you, you do need that but actually when it was all the time i kind of felt you know uh you know there's, there's more to it than this isn't there you know um and so i kind of like uh, i still read the angling times so you know when i like uh, i like the angling times big fan of it um i'll go and buy a copy and there's lots of how-to stuff and where to stuff and it's fantastic but when i want to read you know um you know there, there, there was nowhere really i felt i could read you know enough about just escape you know um where I could sit, you know the thing where you can just kind of sit in an airplane and, and, you know, um, you pull out a book and then suddenly you've landed, you know, <laughs> so like it's, it's three hours, it's three hours later and you've kind of forgotten that, you know, there's been an, you know, a steward walking past offering your beer or something like that. You've just, you've just totally got your head in the book. And, um, and, you know, I wanted that kind of thing from, from a magazine as well, where, where, you know, it was long form writing where people were given enough, time and space to be able to kind of get their hands into a story um, and it was it was it's basically uh, it's, it's you know at the time there wasn't an awful lot of nature in my life and um even though where i'm where i'm living now it's is is sort of relatively leafy um well um you know I, I wasn't fishing enough and actually it was a good excuse for it you know get me out fishing you know
0: actually it's funny that's how i uh came to write my book haunted by waters I yeah, fishing, great you know. book. Yeah, lovely. thanks, again, and thanks, man, for <laughs> to review it. Um, but it was, and, and it's you know, it's funny. I won't bore you too too much about it. Was it was the fir- it was my sixth book. But it Was the first one I'd written that I didn't have a contract for it. That I hadn't been commissioned to write because the other ones were you know sports, GA, all that kind of stuff. I just wrote it for myself. But I wrote it with the point of view of it was an excuse to make me get out as well fishing. You know, so I was booked, you know, I would go somewhere, I'd book somewhere to do it. And, you know, you know, my excuse to the wife was, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be writing a book, you know. <laughs> but I, I sat down and wrote it for myself. And, you know, and then when I was thinking of sending it off to publishers, I was like, sure, what publisher would be interested in, you know, fly fishing around Ireland kind of thing. And I remember sent, you know, I sent it off to Hachette or one of the, the biggest publishers, you know, in Ireland. And like they got back to me within hours. And they're like, it just struck a chord. And I think, I think it's that when it comes from the soul, like you said, Gareth, when it comes from the heart, you know, it re- it, can, it resonates kind of deeper with people like, you know.
2: Yeah, I found that book if a sort of a very kind of precinct book. You know, it was, um, you know, it came at the right time.
0: Exactly, um, yeah.
2: You know, it was, uh, it really resonated with me. And and obviously you would, you talked about some places like, uh, like the Shure. I mean, stories about the Shure, you know, and the Shure was a very special river to my father. And I'd only had the pleasure of fishing it probably twice in my life. Um, but, um, and, and I
0: actually had the pleasure of speaking to Tom Fort as well on the podcast yeah, yeah. a year, year and a half ago I think it was just at the start of the pandemic and he was sure right. and and we've I've been saying to him Tom like, come on because he was we were able to talk about this like literally down the road from me where I go fishing and he's like oh yeah I've been down there and I've got caught fish down there and everything like and I was like right you have to come back and we'll go fishing like you know and that's what it, I love that in terms of you know the seven degrees of separation and all like when you're talking about people and you know it's amazing I'm talking to Tom Fort in the UK and he's fished down the road for me. Like.
2: There is that, but it's, it's, it's part of the beauty of angling, isn't it? You know, it's like, um, you know, I, I have, it's one of the sort of things that I hadn't realized would happen is that I, I, I now, you know, my social circle has, has grown and I've got really, really close friends you know, that I've met since I set up the magazine, you know, who I see as often as I can and I fish with as often as I can, but not nearly enough, you know? um but i you know it's just the magazine has put me you know in contact with like-minded people you know um Mm. who see angling in the same way and they can be from all over the place you know not just the people you might meet on the bank yourself and as a result of that then you've got more opportunities to meet more people kind of like you you know and um and not everybody's going to be exactly like you, which is which is you don't want you don't want you don't want people to be exactly like you. You want people to be different, you know. You want you you want you want that sort of journey through life to sort of give you opportunities to meet.
0: Tell me this, guy um, How did you find it the first few years? Because obviously, you you know, you were still working, you were still doing the day job, you know. But you you know, you were putting this out. And the, how did you find it the first few years? Was it tough in terms of you know you know? Because again, I'm thinking in terms of digital. Everybody, you know, and I've been working in digital media for over 20 years i've been you know a proponent of digital media for that time i did my first podcast in 2007 <laughs> yeah, eventually you know eventually i get right like you were you know, about five <laughs> <laughs> we actually, so much we had to call we actually had to call it radio because we knew yeah. we, so, because we knew <laughs> if we called it a podcast people wouldn't have a clue what we were talking about but yeah so how did you find that first few years like did people not go jesus you're mad doing that like?
2: Oh, people said I was mad to do it from the very beginning, you know, even before I came up with the first one, yeah. Because yeah. I, I had no idea how it would go down, you know, I thought people would just think, who's this bloody idiot?" you know? Um, but I, I felt that there was, as an issue I wanted to scratch, there was, uh, there was something I wanted to tell, there was a story I wanted to tell, there was things I was interested in doing. And um, and actually, I felt that there was a need for Angling to reconnect, you know, I thought that people had, you know, that need for, you know, to reconnect with, with what's out there, you know? And... Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was hard, you know, it's never easy balancing, you know, a magazine with a really busy career, you know, um, but actually I've sort of left that, you know, most of that career behind. I still obviously do it, you know, um, and, um, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, a, it's incredibly hard to balance those two things, you know, but ultimately you need to make choice. So in the last couple of years, I've decided that actually I'd rather be you know fishing an awful lot you know not earning a huge amount of money sorry that's my next door neighbor's dog <laughs> um chasing a fox no doubt uh uh yeah i'd, I'd rather you know i, I kind of question like well you know why do we work sort of 50 hour weeks all the time you know why do we work 60 or 70 hour weeks which is something i was doing a lot of uh, um you know life is life is kind of very short and um uh, you know, it's and I certainly my dad's death sort of made me realise that and, and I kind of thought, well, um, you know, try and make it, try, you know, maybe working less for less, being happy with less gives you kind of more freedom. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. And, you know, Fanon's Angler isn't something that pays me a wage, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's something I do for love, you know, um, uh, it's something that, you know, I do because I believe it's important, you know. Um, but
0: it's something that I love doing. Yeah, like so many media projects, projects and magazines, you see, and, the, and they do disappear. Right? They, it's like people lose interest, hmm. you know, or, or that, and I think it's interesting what you're saying in terms of it's about doing it for the purpose, the why behind it. Because if you're looking to kind of do it to go, look, I want to make money. I want, Obviously, you'd love to be doing it full time and making money out of it. But if that's the sole purpose, it becomes a very difficult um, aspiration, do you think?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got absolutely no intentions of, of, of stopping it. Um, you know, I, I've looked at its, you know, evolution and and because magazine design is something I've done for a long time. And 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 I, you know, th- though we haven't necessarily changed the design of the magazine an awful lot, we've, we've changed kind of, you know, some of the things that are in it. And we, we, we do have some of the writers still, you know, Chris Hates is still in there and a few other people. Um, and, you know, but there are other there are also you know, lots of other types of writing in there, you know, like we've proudly showcased a different writer, you know, like a new writer, every single issue since the very first, you know, um, and, and we do that, you know, we go out and we search and we find a new writer in every single issue and and, and, and publish it. And and that's something I think we can be proud of. Uh, but also we kind of, um, I do quite a lot of work with people on their pieces, you know, and to help, you know, people develop. And of course, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no expert, but um you know I, I do try to sort of help people sort of find their their voice and that journey in itself is sort of interesting because um you know we, we've worked hundreds of articles now over over 26 issues um and just watching how the face of angling changes like even when i first did it i i was at the time i'd just sort of gotten into fishing with a split cane rod you know and um and trotting uh you know and uh, Tom and I were just talking about this, that, you know, um, at the very beginning, and 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 it was like, you know, why, why did I not know about this when I was in Ireland? Why did I not know about trotting in Ireland? I mean, oh my God! Could you imagine the carnage we could have caused on the, you know, on the Shannon, you know, the, you know, or even the Boyne, you know? Oh my God! You know, and and like and as I did. I've been back and I have trotted a, you know, a float down in, on the Blackwater for days, and that has been fantastic, and and and. Um, but, but I was very much, I, I had a, I had a tweed jacket on, you know, and a cane rod and, and, and that was my kind of thing. And, and then actually, you know, a few years later, it's, it's morphed into something else. As I, I travel light, I, I, I've got a 1980s match rod, you know, like that is really light and is light enough to throw over a fence you know, because I spent a lot of time being chased by cattle. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, um, it's, it's, so things kind of change and I think the writing changes with it, you know? Um,
0: I think it's quite a journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. well, and that's uh, that's what it's about, isn't it? The, you know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the yeah. journey as opposed to the destination. Like, well, I, 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 I,
2: I, think you know, like I know so little about fishing, you know, but compared compared to somebody compared to somebody who knows nothing about fishing, I know loads. Yeah.
1: Compared,
2: compared to someone,
1: of... it's all relative. But just one thing I want to ask you there. You said that you suddenly realised that you don't want to work fifty hours a week and you want to fish more, but I'm going to ask, what came first? Did you suddenly think that when you started fishing more or did you think that initially that I don't want to do 50 hours a week and then start fishing? What came first? What, what was, was it the fishing that made you think that? Or did you just think that as we get older, a lot of us think that anyway?
2: Yeah. But yeah. Is it
1: the fishing that instilled that?
2: Well, that's where the the midlife crisis came in. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it was, um, yeah, it, it was the fishing because basically, in order to do the magazine on, along with my work, I upped my hours. So I ended up working harder and harder and harder. Um, but actually what that did is it opened the door to me fishing again. And, um, and by fishing again, I realized this is just, this is what it's about, you know? And, um, and, and so, yeah, so it's a bit of a roundabout way, but yeah, it's definitely the fishing that has sort of given me the confidence to kind of go, do you know what, you know, stop it stop 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 behaving like an idiot! um you know you're going to kill yourself um i think in, in, in kind of you know in many ways i kind of i was worried about you know doing what happened to my father and dropping dead in an office you know when i was in, in my 50s because i was like i was working myself to the bone and actually fishing has given me an opportunity to to sort of reevaluate and um and so i'm kind of fitter now in my 50s than i was in my 40s and 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 that's going to get better, you know, but yeah, it's just, a, you know, being outside, being by, being on the bank of a river or, you know, or a canal or a lake, you know, it's just the way forward, you know.
0: It's hard to, I remember again, just at the time in book when I was doing media interviews and I was talking to Ryan Tuberty and RTE and Matt Cooper on Today FM and, you know, they're, you know, like, and in fairness to does fishing, but he was like, how can you, you know, sell this to people. You tell people you go fishing or whatever, you know, they, you know, they think I, and my friends in Dublin, you know, they play golf and they go, so you stand in a river and you watch this line and nothing happens for most of the day. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. But like we'll work
1: on the sales pitch there.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. But it was all about that. When I, I suppose what I was trying to, say, saying like, how can you sell it to people? And it's like, I was trying to sell like, exactly what you said, Garrett. It's when you're out. That you just, it's good for the soul. It's good for the, you know, I, I actually, I think I pitched it like, it's like modern meditation, you know, yeah. in a way, um, in, in that sense, and that you're out and about. And even like, I, I i wrote it in, I think it was the prologue to the book where I came back from the black water. I'd been fishing for salmon. I hadn't caught anything. And my wife said to me, Jesus, you know, it's taking years off you you know, you look so, you know, just from that act of being out for a couple of hours, like, and you know, I said, oh sure, it's like heaven. Like, and she was like, Jesus, if I could get to heaven by driving 20 minutes down the road, I'd be there all the time. <laughs> and it was only kind of like, and I was like, yeah, actually that's a fair point. Why am I, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of like, if it means that so much to you, why can't it, you know, do it more and more? And I think that's, I'm, I'm kind of similar to you Gar, in that sense of caught in that trap of working 50, 60 hour weeks wanting to fish because you know it's good for you not being able to feeling bad about yourself because you can't do it still working more you know and it's kind of like you you get caught in that hamster wheel like
2: i think we do and i think that you know i think you know men's will be you know mental health across the board now is, is um is very much in focus for society but i think in particular you know men's mental health um has become much more um but we're much more able to talk about it, you know, and, and I think you know, uh, gone fishing with um, you know um, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse has really sort of helped open up um, people's eyes to the benefits of it, and, and actually, but loads of people I know are kind of going, well, we do that anyway, you know, but it's finally now it's, it's great for other people to see why we do it. But I was kind of, you know, in, in some ways that's what I've been doing. And in some ways, that's what my dad was doing. So in some ways, that's what, what you were doing, what we all do. You know, we've all, you know, we've all been kind of marshalling our kind of mental health in some way by, by fishing. You know, and it's just that now, now we're actually able, now, now we can talk about it right? and you go, well, sometimes I struggle or sometimes I don't, or, you know, yeah. sometimes I have a problem with grief or sometimes there's a problem with a marriage or, or, or whatever it is that guys need to talk about. Uh, but also, you know, what I, what I love about fishing is, is, again, I'm going to quote one, one Tom Ford, you know, because he, he'll, he'll likely be talking about him so much. Um, <laughs> he'll say, he, I think he says something like in his book, The Far From Complete Angler, that um, uh, anybody who says that they go fishing to think um, about life or about their problems or any of like that is, is lying, because the only thing you think about when you're fishing is fishing. You know? and, um, and I actually, I quote, along those kind of lines... And it really made sense to me. And that in itself is meditation because actually you're not thinking of, you know, the state of funds. You're not thinking of Boris Johnson. You're not thinking of, you know, uh, who's winning Wimbledon. You're not thinking of where, where my next mortgage payment is. You're thinking about how do I catch that trout in front of me or how do I, there's a pike under that bush or, you know, and occasionally it can be, well, there's a flock of heron downs, It's amazing. Oh, there's, there's an osprey. That might be, that, that, that'd be lucky. Um, or, or something unusual happens to snap you out of it, which is, you know, nature throws something at you, like a kingfisher landing on the rod tip or a vole crawling across your foot or, you know, or a cow licking your ear. You
0: know? <laughs> or <laughs> catching a bat. You're catching a bat.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <Catching a bat. laughs>
0: and actually, just on that, uh, the whole thing about nature, and, and like I, I think I've said it before in terms of, you know, you see the, the kids the gen- younger, you feel that they're losing that touch to nature you know, because, you know, we're all on our screens, you know, maybe we're a bit older. So we're kind of, you know, can remember life before the iPhones and all that. And for me, for my kids, it's giving them the appreciation of nature that, you know, I can just bring them out down for a walk down the river and, you know, and they're looking at the same thing, but they're seeing it and, and starting to appreciate it. And I think if anything, that to me is something that has a legacy to pass on, you know, it's that kind of, that I hope we never lose it, you know, that, you know but obviously a lot of kids are but to give them that taste of nature and i know how important it is like because i i, I, I think do think we're losing it
2: i think you're totally right i think that we're at we're at a real crossroads you know at the moment and and i think because because you know we all know people of you know you know i'm, I'm a bit older than new lads but you know i'm um you know, I know people older than me that who, who spend an awful lot of time on social media when they should be doing better things. And, and, and you know, I know that, that to a certain extent, you know, um, being on social media, being on a screen is important to, to work and to exist and to stay in contact with your friends. But actually we have the experience of a, of a life, you know, and, 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 and actually we're able to make informed decisions about how we spend our time. And, and, and are we are able to recognize our need for nature because we've been through it, you know. But if you're a kid and you don't have that exposure, what do you do? You know, how do you how do you how do you get somebody to sort of realize? Put down the phone, or you know, um, come and see the river. You know, um, how do you how do you help them on that journey? And the only way to do it is just to you know encourage them. You know, either by you know making them go, <laughs> or, or yeah. which you know, I don't well, know. Yeah. Like, like Tom, do you do you do you bring do you bring young people fishing? You know, yeah.
1: like, oh, just, The young people I would bring fishing will be uh, uh, kids. Yeah. Kids, oh sorry, kids of clients.
2: Kids of clients, yeah, yeah, yeah. And are they generally we,
1: enthusiastic? We, we, do it, we do it here through a club, but yeah,
2: like,
1: as a guide, um, as a guide, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't occasionally you'd be asked, but it'd be the parents, that would yeah, be, you know, but the parents would be fishing as well nearly 90% of the time, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, the, yeah, local yeah. Cl- the local club here does do a lot for youth angling, so yeah, you, you can encourage them that way without it. And I, and I get what you're saying, you know. Encouraging is one thing; forcing is something completely different.
2: Yeah, because you can't do it. You know, just can't no, do it. No, you can't yeah. do it. No, you
1: can't, you no. can't do it, and it's a fine line. I mean, what do you do?
2: It's a yeah. fine
1: line, but you know, uh, you know. I often say this. It's it's part of part of the broader, broader probably problem that angling is facing. But there's so many things that you can do now as a youngster in the outdoors. You know, you know. People say, "Oh, they're all us, They're all on computer screens." No, they're not. You know, they're they're, they're kayaking. Yeah. mountain biking, you know, like, I don't know, like, I grew up here rurally and I, I've said it here before, you know, the options I had when I was growing up here in Carnemona was I played football, Gaelic football, ROI yeah. fishing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, you know, now, as I said, there's mountain biking, there's kayaking, there's yeah. so many other things to do. So like, would, for want of a better word, we're actually in competition.
2: That's interesting, isn't it? Because like my, my nephew and nieces in, in, in Dublin, um, like my nephew, like uh, he's a, you know, mad hurler, you know, and now he looks like she started to play rugby. So he's, you know, he's always out and about. And, and, you know, before that, it was, it was, it was soccer, you know, um, and then getting football. So he always went out and, you know, his, his sisters, you know, um, one does and one doesn't, you know, but they're, one's sporty and one's, and one's not, you know, uh, but they always had the option to do it, you know. But in Irish culture, you've got this kind of the GAA, you've, you've got that and you've got, you know, so many, lakes and rivers that are around you like everybody yeah. i know is next to a lake or a river but here in the uk it's not that like my nearest river is is at a mile and a half away and i'm not allowed to fish it you know and uh, I, I can walk it but i can't fish it so if you're a young person and, and, and you walk to that river and you don't get you know you don't even know what's in there you know you don't you don't see anybody engaging with it in the way you see the beauty of it but actually when you realize that there's a fish in it this it, it becomes something else you know so that, that that opportunity isn't there, you know. But you know, I can see when I go back to Ireland, uh, like I was just back a few weeks back, in, in County Mead and um, um, one of the little rivers that flows into the Boyne. I mean, oh my gosh! I mean, it was just teeming yeah. with trout, and I was like, oh, I yeah, gotta, gotta get back there, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it's two it's two fields from the back of my my mate's house, and he is, you know, he he wants to learn how to how to fly fish, you know, so um, he can take his daughter there, and I mean. You know, you live in the countryside and you've got these things on your, on your doorstep. But, um, but what do you what do you do then if you're if you living in the city? You know, um, do you have do you have the same options then if you're living in the countryside? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I, I work with some people who, who help charities. They work with young young kids. So one, one of my mates, he works with young kids and he takes them. I think it's called Band of Brothers. And they, he takes them out, um, takes young kids from urban and, you know, or, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds into nature. You know uh, and we have a thing here um uh it's relatively uh, tackling minds uh so, so something that's that started here which is about uh, which is a really good setup but uh, lads a bunch of lads who who um, i think ricky hatton is one of the sponsors of it and, and they 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 basically deal with mental health issues through through um through fishing you know and that's for kind of all issues but mostly it seems to be sort of mostly kind of you know men but i might be wrong about that but there are organizations that help young young kids but i'm just i'm just thinking i'm still worried about it like i'm kind of lucky you know my wife and i we have a caravan down the, you know bluebell woods in east sussex and um, very close to the sea but also very close to some very nice slow rivers full of tension bream um and i i go down there but my daughter's more interested in swimming in them than she is in fishing but that's fine you know because sooner or later a Pike will swim by and she'll
0: be going. What the hell is that? <laughs> you know? and you're like, get out of the way! I need to go. <laughs> <it." laughs> I want to catch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Karen, I want to just I have two questions after you. Um, I want to bring you back just to uh, the magazine, and you mentioned Chris Yates. Well, I'm a massive Chris Yates fan as well. Um, how did you get him on board? And it, you must have been thrilled when he started writing for fan's Anger*.
2: It was unbelievable.
0: Um, it's
2: it's a pleasure to, to know the man it really is. Um, I, I always wanted him on board, um, because uh, you know, um, that that summer that I spent at home happened to coincide with a passion for angling, um, on television. And I remember my dad coming and get me. And he said, watch these two lads coming in. These two lads are amazing. You know? know? And so we sat down and watched it. And I used to come down and watch with them, you know, every sort of week. And, um, and I thought, you know, and then I was reading his books and I thought, what a writer is he. Uh, and, and so when, when the idea came to me, I said, look, I, I just I want this guy in it, you know. And I spoke with Tom Ford and Tom Ford, I knew that they'd known each other. Tom Ford said, well, um, if you get a chance to meet him, um, you can um, tell him that I said hello. you know. And uh, I think he I think he actually might have given me his 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 telephone number. Um, but I, being the person that I am, um, it's very rude to call somebody up without having proper permission. So um, it was when um, The Lost Diaries got launched um, in Rough Trade in London. Uh, I went along to the talk there. John Andrews interviewed Chris, and there was a, I queued. I bought, a book, and I queued up at the end to get a signature. And um, while I was there, I said, Tom Ford said, said to say hello. <laughs> um i'm gareth i'm thinking of launching a fishing magazine um it's about the soul of nature it's so the soul of angling um it's about you know fishing and you know and, and and you know it's not about the size of the fish it's about the story behind the catching of the fish and you know it's 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 the quality of the story and not about the quality of the um of the fish so to speak but um and he just went sounds interesting um here's my number. And I went, well, actually, I think I might already have that. <laughs> <laughs> I but, know you um, where you
0: live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I uh, well, said, so well, you know, here,
2: here's my number. You have permission to use it. So I called him about, um, I sort of, you know, I paced up and down the hallway for, um, you know, a number of days kind of going, do I call, do we call, is it too soon? It was a bit like sort of, you know, those moments when you, you've you met somebody you fancy at a, at a sort of party years before, and is it too soon to call them? But actually, uh, I left it about a week, and then I, I called him back, and um, we had a long chat, and um, yeah, and he's been on board ever since. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, it's one of the highlights I have to say every time you know pick it up. Like I, I kind of flick straight to no offense, I flick straight to Chris Yates.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 amazing. And uh, like I remember the first time I fished with him, and and um, I just couldn't believe it. And and uh, and then when he, he came down for opening day of the season a few years back to uh, to the caravan actually, and so we spent sort of two or three. Um, days together with Kev Parr and, and a few other lads, and and, um, and it was just absolutely hilarious. He's very good at frisbee. I mean, he's devilish at frisbee, Um, and uh, obviously brilliant at angling. But um, yeah. and
0: tea, tea making is tea it? making.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've sort of I think that's what you know. I'm not a big tea man. You know, I prefer a point of Guinness, um, but obviously I, I don't drink when I'm on the bank. Um, but uh, I do like a coffee. But uh, Chris takes the mickey out of me there. But uh, his tea is fantastic. And he's got a kind of, you know, he's got a very particular way of making it. Uh, but he's, he, the, his, the way that he looks at things is remarkable. I, I, I've never met anybody like him. Um, he has this perception, you know, he's extremely close to nature. I mean, it's, it's you know, like I don't know whether he, have you have read his book, uh, Nightwalk. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: oh. I, and it's funny oh. actually. I I kind of before I even picked it up I was like, "Oh, he's going to struggle. How can you get a book out of that?" Oh. And <laughs> you know, and it was just, just breathtaking.
2: Just absolutely breathtaking. And um and and to see him do that and, and you know, when you're fishing with him, you just kind of, you know, you'll have these moments where oh, something's going to happen in a minute. And it does, you know. Or he'll see something and he goes, "Look over there." And you'll over there and you know, you'll see a, a hobby. Like I think the first time I fished with him, we were driving to, I was driving to show him the river, you know, and literally just the night before, this is the 15th of June. We were literally just going to see the river where we were fishing in the morning. And um, and, he, and we we're going through this windy country lanes. And he goes, Stop, stop the car. <laughs> I'm like, What's going on? And he bolted out of the car and he literally hurled this kind of gate. And he went, and he got his binoculars in it. He went, Oh, that was a Marsh Harrier. And Kev Parr was there and he was like, Really? And Kev just knows not to question. Chris, at all, we said, you know, if Chris says he saw a marsh harrier, he, he definitely saw one. And we drove on down and we, um, literally about two miles on, probably only about a mile further on, but around quite a few bends. And we got to the bridge where we were going to fish. And um, we got, and Chris was going, that's a really good sign to have seen a marsh harrier on the 15th of June. It's a really good sign. And then, and then I was showing on the river and Kev was, had the binoculars pointed in the other direction. and He says, Chris, come and have a look at this. And it was a Marsh Harrier sitting on a fence post about 150 yards away, you know, and we, and it was there for the whole three or four days that we were there, flying up and down, quartering away, and um, and Chris had seen it, you know, through a gap in the trees, you know, at me bombing along country roads, <laughs> and I don't know how he did it. He kind of sensed that it would be there. He he was he was he, he was he knew the country having you know he was returning to a part of the countryside he hadn't been to in 50 years. Yeah, he could kind of saw by the nature of the countryside, by its shape, that uh, actually this was where I'm likely to see one, and and it was, lot, it was almost like he conjured it out of thin air, you know. And in a, in a similar way, in a similar way, he conjures fish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, last question: We've kept you long enough, Garth. Um We ask this for every uh, guest on on the podcast, uh, and actually, my apologies, I didn't give you the heads up, so i I've put, well, put you on the spot now with this one. What was your most memorable fish?
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> and we always say, it doesn't have to be the biggest, you know, just memorable in terms of context, situation.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't, the biggest was the 270 pound, 260 pound sturgeon, but no, it wasn't that one. I think the most memorable one was the 25 pound pike I caught at... Um, uh, where was it um it was uh it was in the meath cabin border i can't remember the name of the lake it'll come to me um but yeah it was um it was a january uh day uh it was actually it was two days before my dad died and it was um it was a friend of mine phil daly uh, was was working in Navan, and he he said to me, chance going pike fishing. I've I got to go down and service this bit of hospital equipment. And, um, and then, you know, the lake is only up the road when we go there. And, um, and I said, yeah, great idea. And then he picked me up with the car. <clears throat> and then um, we got to the end of the road and it said, oh, I forgot my camera. Have you bought yours? And he went, no, I don't, I don't have a camera. I said, um well, it's, it's a horrible old day, you know, cold January day. Um, if we, you know, we probably won't catch anything anyway. And um, we went down to this lake. And I waited in the car park while he, you know, um, sorted his workout and drove off. And I was fishing with this uh, Shakespeare strike rod. You know, there's both float rod, about a eleven foot float rod. It was about as thick as a telegraph pole, it was a massive thing. But it was great for pike fishing because it, you know it was very strong. And I, I nicked my dad's um, Mitchell reel, and um, I was using that. And uh, I had uh, I was fishing mackerel, whole mackerel on a on a on a treble and optonic, an and it was really windy there was just left to right wind going and i poofed this thing out and the line just got caught uh i, mean, I was aiming for this this bit of reeds between a sort of island and and you know and, and the shore where i thought fodder fish might be sort of you know gathering up and the pike could be in there but the, the the wind just took the line right out <laughs> about 25 yards away from where i was casting and i couldn't get the bobbin on the on the on the optonic to sort of settle and it was just going beep 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 like that and my mate was going like that's a fish and i said it's not a fish it's the wind and, the, and there's a huge bow in the line so that's a, it's a fish and i was that's not really it's not and we went on with this for a minute or so and i went oh we just strike the bloody thing and i went, okay you know and it struck and the water just went mental you know literally you know like literally where i'd cast and this huge fish came out of the water and i was just like holy moly and um and so I, I struck into it and the pike took off along the, the, the bank. And, um, and when in about a minute, the drag on the reel broke um, on my dad's good old, you know, 50-year-old Mitchell Reel. So I had to backwind this pike, you know, and then it started absolutely showering down with rain. And it was that really, it wasn't light rain, you know, it wasn't like a soft day rain. It was like lashing with rain and um, the kind of stuff that hurts you. And, um, and Phil said, you know, well, sod this, I'm off to the car. Right? And, he left, <laughs> and, he left, and he left me. So I was like went well, up and down this this thing and, and I remember exactly the time because it took me 25 minutes to land it. And um and just as I was landing it, the rain stopped and Phil came out and um and he netted the fish for me and um and we waited and it was I think it was 25-4 or 25-6 or whatever. And um and, and it was beautiful, biggest pike I'd ever caught. The biggest one I caught for that was about 16. And um and I said, "Jesus, a shame about that camera, wasn't it?" You know, and um, and we put, the, we literally, we were just putting the thing back and gone, and the, and the fish, there was a little drop off in the lake, and um, and she just sort of settled off at the bottom of the drop off and sat there for about five minutes, you know, kind of looking at us with this kind of funny eye, you know, looking at us a bit, a bit unhappy, you know, and um, kind of saying, "What was all that about?" You know, and then it just, you know, off she went. And and with that, we heard this sort of the cattle grid in the car park behind us and go. And um, and it was this big four by four came in, and this guy came out with this huge camera on his back. <laughs> <laughs> and he was there, he was there to photograph the birds, and he kind of rocks up and he goes, you yeah, fishing, are you? You know, this is like this is, this is this shite weather. What are you doing? Like you never get out. <laughs> and then, and so yeah, so I got home. I got home that night, and I called my dad, and um, and I told him about it. And uh, he wrote it down on a message, and um, and he went off to dinner that night. And uh, and yeah, two days later, I got the phone call that he'd passed away. You know, but when I when I went home um, to spend some time with a moment and, and funeral and stuff like that, um, I found the phone message written, and it had twenty five pound pike. Um, you know mackerel dead bait you know and uh yeah and my friend who we'd seen for dinner um had said that, how, uh, how proud he was because uh that was the biggest fish that a found ever caught so the biggest pike that a found had ever caught so that's that's my best fish well wow,
0: understandable that's a memorable yeah. memorable fish memorable story memorable <laughs> sex everything. About, it? Uh, <laughs> <Mirable stories. laughs> exactly exactly like and we've got some collection on, over the last few months as well but yeah gareth fallon continued success with fallon's angler the quarterly magazine if anybody's interested um in find that more and maybe subscribing to it and per- they can purchase single issues as well where do they go
2: yeah fallonsangler.net um and it's all on there yeah um, felonsangler.net forward slash shop and uh, you'll you'll see it all and you go by all means if you want to know what we're um we have a youtube channel as well under Felons Angler. and um yeah we have just got a new film out called the lost river which is about micro spinning for a trout on a on a little chalk stream um but you know that youtube channel is a good introduction to the kind of thinking that we uh we kind of thinking that that's behind who we are um, my picture editor, um, Nick Fallifield Cooper, who also makes our wonderful films, um, he's very much part of the team, as is Kev Parr, my deputy editor, um, and um, Kev, you know, obviously, you know his writing too. Um, yeah, without those two, uh, Fallon's wouldn't exist. So. Um, it's very much a team effort you know it's got my it might have it might have you know it's i've never looked at it as really having my name on the front cover it's really about it's my family name it's my uncle's my father. It's my grandfather you know um but um you know you know kevin parr and nick phil cooper are you know hugely important to it
0: well i think you know you, you described it as the soul of angling um and i think if anything your life and what your dad passed on to you as well is, i think very much summed up by that as well you know terms of um, you know angling as a journey you know throughout life so continue success and, and thanks again for joining us.
2: Thank you very much lads.
1: Our thanks to Garrett Fallon for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from.
0: Plus you can keep up to date on IrelandOnthefly.com as well as on Instagram and uh, myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.